Hey guys, this is Anand Chimpy from AnandTech.com. Uh, we are back for episode 15. This is our uh, uh, post-CES 2013 episode of the Anantech podcast. Uh, joining us once again, we have Dr. Ian Cutris, our senior motherboard editor. Hey, everyone. And as usual, Brian Klug, our senior smartphone editor. Hey, guys. Um, so we, we, I don't actually remember a lot of what we talked about at CES. That was a very <laughs> late night that we recorded that podcast. Um, and I know there's there's some stuff we wanted to wrap up, uh, and and this is something that I've kind of been wanting to just get my thoughts down in document form. But I feel like, you know, you go back one or two CESs ago, and I had no visibility into where the market was going, what was happening. I mean, two CESs ago, we still thought we had what six viable smartphone SOC vendors, right? Yeah, it was and, a pretty and, big number. And now, it, you know, it's it's. Consolidation hasn't really happened, but people have clearly faded away, right? Like, they're still out there. They're still shipping a little bit of product. They're still making press announcements. But that, that market is starting to close. And, and I feel like now we, we have, like, real visibility into what's happening. Um, so I wanted to kind of share some thoughts, not just in the smartphone space, but in computing in general as to, to what's going on. Um, so I'll start with Intel. So Intel at CES, they had, um, uh, I, I remember they, they did a... Uh, uh, at their press conference, they had this wall of ultrabooks, and and they said, "Look, you know, this is all the cool stuff that we're coming out with." And I remember standing in the in the back of the room and looking at it all, and and having used some of the best of the best ultrabooks from this last round. Looking at that wall, I'm like, you know, the vast majority of the stuff up there just isn't going to be very good, and and I hate that that's my initial reaction, but I feel like that's probably the truth, right? It's it's. Um, and, and I think it highlights the kind of major problem Intel is facing right now. They are, you know, they have never executed so well for so long, and they're continuing to execute well, and, and their roadmap going forward looks really, really good. But I don't know that any one of their partners from the PC space is actually doing all that great and, and is, is actually putting out the caliber of product that would make me really excited. I mean, people have gotten better, right? You look at Acer today. Um, Asus today, they're a lot better than they have in the past, uh, than they have been in the past. But I feel like each generation, there's still a whole list of things that we wish they'd gotten right. Um, and and I, I don't think, unfortunately, I don't think that's going to change with Haswell either. Um, I, I don't know. I'm curious your, your, your guys' thoughts on, on all of this. Uh, am I being too cynical? Is... Is, 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 is it a case of what the consumer wants they can't provide inside the price envelope? Or is it just the fact that innovation just isn't occurring? Well, I don't think it's that, right? So I think, you know, I look at to the second generation of Ultrabooks, right, where we were still making the comments like, hey, you know, the trackpad on the MacBook Air is still better. Or, you know, you've got, uh, at least with the second generation, we finally got displays that were better than what was on the MacBook Air. But the fact that, like, a lot of these guys are still struggling for hardware parity at similar price points to Apple um, is kind of disappointing. You know, I feel like the PC market in general has always been, hey, look, we'll deliver uh, better hardware at a lower price point than Apple. Um, by better, I mean faster, better specs, so on and so forth. But some of these companies have fallen so far behind in, in the basic tangibles in terms of display, display calibration, uh, keyboard, trackpad, and, and those things. And, and those have grown in importance so much since, you know, kind of CPU power has been enough for the mainstream consumer, I guess, for so long now that... Uh, I don't know, you end up in this like really disappointing cycle of 
these guys still trying to compete based on, you know, we'll give you twice as much RAM or we'll give you one more notch of storage capacity at the same price point as Apple. Like, I still feel like they're playing those games versus saying, you know, here's everything you get with a MacBook Air, but for $699 instead of $999, right? And I feel like that has always been the value play there. Um, but because of volume, because of scale, they're not able to deliver that right away. And I think it's, I don't know, I think it's personally, I think it's really frustrating. Interesting. That's pretty alarming. <clears throat> I don't want to get right. on a tangent, but my bigger thing with Intel is that you go to their booth, there's like a little teeny tiny section for smartphones. There's no section for <laughs> um, modem, and that's the mobile presence, as far as I'm concerned, on the like, you know, smartphone side. Like, I hate, I hate that word, but, you know, this sort of like new, not really a notebook, smaller, lower power, you know, sort of category. <clears throat> and that's, yeah, and I that's think, kind of alarming. I, I think that's the other side of Intel's problem, right? Again, you have uh, you have great roadmap on the core side, potentially promising roadmap on the Atom side. The things we're hearing about um, Bay Trail, Valley View, they all sound very, very promising. But whereas the issue on the traditional PC side for Intel is uh, that kind of last mile where they handle hand off you know, a decent platform or, or a decent pair of silicon to an OEM and the OEM drops the ball... Um, on the phone side, it's it's even worse. It's not that, you know, one, they're not in any key design wins, right? Razer, and, and Brian, you just got a Razer Eye, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, that was nice. I think that's a great device, you know? I don't know, Dude. you know, I think the thing with the Lexington is that that's a pretty cool little handset, and everybody kind of wants this flagship thing. Um, but well, I, I sorry, hang on real like... quick. So Lexington, uh, for those who don't know, that is intel single core atom ffrd um for for smartphones that's designed to go into i guess like uh the emerging markets where price is a, a major concern and price point for that thing is like in the like low hundreds of range right or yeah, it's maybe like 120 100. bucks i think okay. is what the 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 one that's being sold is uh being priced at but i'm i mean like that form factor isn't bad and when you understand what i think you know that sort of fits into the theme of this last week that's been oh android really only wins because it's cheap you know i haven't gotten involved in that discussion because i think it's it's kind of like very first order you know i think like uh, the a lot of these platforms have obviated the feature phone and dumb phone markets yeah but that's not necessarily why it wins you know like at the high end it's also winning too yep. so <clears throat> i just like that discussion i just am not going to entertain because i think that's like Oh, okay. Well, we we want a reason, so we're gonna make one up. But at the same well, so, time, that you know, like they understand that's where the value is, and so they they put out something, and okay, you know, that's a way to to get to market without LTE as well. Yeah, I, I feel like Intel's strategy though has always been you have to go after the, the high bulk and then of the trickle market. down. Well, and not just that. You have to go after both, right? But you, you have to take the whole thing. You can't just go after the ultra value space. Um, I, I feel like, you know, that space where Lexington competes. Um, so in, in that price point, most of the competing solutions are like single core ARM 11 class processors, right? Yeah, and those are really bad. Like there's just yeah, no so, way of, there's like, I've used a few and people want us to review them. But I'll, I mean, like, I'll be honest, I'm not going to use it. Like it's painful. And so just as a result, I can't do it any justice. Yeah. Um, so, so I feel like that's really low-hanging fruit for Intel. It makes sense for them to go in there. Um, but I kind of, 
I don't know. I want to see that. I agree with you. There's no major like big design wins. Like the Razer Eye is is great. That's probably the one. You know, it sticks out in my mind is not being just an FFRD. Like it's completely different. Yes. You know, the form factor is different. You know, it's smaller. It's it's more compact. It's got QHD. Um, it's a great little device. You know, and I you know like that's really the only one that sticks out in my mind that isn't just like an FFRD that looks a little tiny, little bit different. You yeah. know. And thus isn't just like sort of Intel gave gave them all that they needed to make the phone and they did it. So, yeah. And at the same time, there's this LTE discussion and there's no reason they couldn't just go with somebody else's LTE chipset. But I think that would be embarrassing for them. And that's why they haven't done it. You know, yeah. they just don't want to. But there's nothing there's not like an OEM could take this and stick in, you know, MDM 9615 on it. No problem. I mean, I think I think that's fundamentally been the issue, though, right? There's. The advantages that Intel offer, so advantage in performance, slight disadvantage in power, um, that equation has never been enough for an OEM to say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a Qualcomm LTE modem, and I'm gonna, I need this Atom thing because it's gonna help me sell more phones, right? At best, they've been parity with kind of the mainstream or the mid-range, which isn't enough to convince an OEM to, you know, work with them. Yeah, and, and then there's some developer support for like those last remaining libraries. And you know what's interesting is that I have seen a lot of updates come through the pipeline uh, just from devs that I wouldn't necessarily expect with uh, support for x86, like mentioned in the chain log, change interesting. log. So, I mean, I think it's starting to catch on. The foundation is getting laid. They're starting to notice. You know, I mean, all is not lost, but again, it's, it's a little bit disappointing that it's not, you know, like the headlining thing exactly. for them. So I think, you know, that, that, that takes care of the phone side. You know, I've talked about the Ultrabook side. Um, in between, I feel like uh, Intel's now at that stage where they're kind of actively considering going heavier into Android tablets. Um, originally, that wasn't the go-to market plan. The go-to market plan was we'll go into Android phones and we'll do Windows 8 and uh, tablets. Um, but I think Intel's kind of... Uh, in a position where they're seeing, you know, Windows 8 tablet adoption isn't all that great, <laughs> uh, d- despite what, um, I-, I guess, what they, what made sense originally, 10,000-foot view. Um, so until Windows Blue shows up, um, which is supposed to be Q, end of Q3, beginning of Q4 this year, um, you know, which may or may not change things, until that happens, I, I think we're going to see increased focus on, on, uh, from Intel on the Android space, uh, for tablets, it is. That's pretty interesting. I mean, I think that's the real win. If you're not the most, if you're not the lowest power, but you have other things, you know, then that's the tablet is the most logical place to go. Yeah. So I mean, that's and sort of like the Tiger Three story. Right? Exactly. I was just about to say that. Um. So that's kind of Intel. I know there's there's one other announcement here that that happened post CES, um, which I guess we can talk about now, and then I'll get to Qualcomm. Um. So Intel announced. Um, you know, just a few days ago, that over the next three years it would be winding down its desktop motherboard business. So a lot of people, you either know this or you don't. You know, Intel actually builds a lot of motherboards that they sell into the channel that appear in you know white box retailer systems, stuff like that. Uh, and they've always been really good motherboards. Um, they they're never like the super overclockable or like you know they're never the ones setting the world records or anything like that. But they haven't been bad. Yeah, um, it's, it's always been the standard for other oems to you know get beyond it doesn't take much to get beyond them yeah but if you get worse than it then you're doing something wrong 
Yeah, but I found, so I always, I'm going to have to not, this won't be the case going forward, but I always used to use them, the Intel boards in our, all of our CPU benchmarks for our desktop CPU reviews. Um, And they've always been really, really good, really stable, really consistent. Um, I've been very, very pleased with them. But they they announced uh, just, you know, a handful of days ago that uh, the Haswell generation of desktop boards will be the last desktop boards to to come out of the company. and I don't know, Ian. What are your thoughts on that? As uh, as a review, I did get uh, one or two requests over the past couple of years to do Intel boards. Um, didn't actually do one last year. The last one was um, Intel X seventy nine, and Intel hadn't got on sort of the graphical UEFI graphical BIOS bandwagon that much. Uh, I heard they had in Z seventy seven, and I'd seen a few screenshots which looked good. Um, and, you know, general thoughts among our readers in the comments have been, you know, some people have loved them in terms of stability um, and perhaps at a good price point, while others have cried that they've lacked the advanced functionality that um, some of the other builders like Asus and Gigabyte and MSI and ASRock have decided to put into their boards. So, I mean, the the Intel boards are actually all built by Foxconn, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so whether that's a case of it's Intel design built by Foxconn or a Foxconn design with an Intel sticker of certification, I'm not entirely sure. But um, I didn't actually know where they were, uh, where they're manufactured. I assumed that Intel didn't have it, their own plant doing this stuff. But as far as I know, the um, and, and I should clarify here. So Intel does reference boards for everything, right? When they bring a new processor up, uh, they do so on an Intel-designed reference board. And that side of the business isn't changing. So those reference boards, whenever a new chipset comes out, when a new platform comes out, Intel's still going to be making those, handing those designs off to the rest of the world for them to use as a starting point for their own motherboards. So that doesn't change. Um, it's just the branded motherboard, desktop motherboard business. That that's the one that's that's going away. Yes, yes. So uh, people like Gigabyte and ASUS, they all get essentially blueprints for a motherboard design for them to do their sort of validation checks for processors. They yes. turn around and say, "Go build this board, go do your checks, and then build up from that." Um, but I, I, over the past years, whenever we get a uh, review sample for a you know, the new Sandy Bridge launch, the new Ivy Bridge launch, it's always been an Intel board and an Intel processor that's come through the door. Yeah, no, that's true. Where, um, well, whereas with AMD, they always pick a partner to build correct. a board, yeah. Um, but it, it, Intel's, um, in terms of sales in the motherboard market, they've been very low single digits because the other OEMs just have the market share everywhere in the world. Um, it's, there's no point, for example, for Intel trying to break into the Brazil market with their motherboards. Um, but then again, the motherboard market—I I would assume—I I would assume Intel's motherboard team would just be a spin-out from their chipset design team. Um, that I actually don't know. Um, I know the uh, after the whole we don't have USB three for a while thing. Um, the chipset group got <laughs> uh, they. I mean, that's what happened, right? Um, that that group got uh, kind of rolled up underneath the CPU guys, right? Um, 
So I, I, I don't know. Um, so I, I know what happens to their motherboard guys now, right? So again, the reference board team, that's completely separate. The current motherboard guys will be going off to work on things like um, the next unit of computing, so the Nook, um, that little uh, smaller than mini ITX form factor motherboard and chassis. Um, so, so they go off to work on that. That's going to continue to be around. And Intel even committed that they will continue to make bare bones motherboards for that platform. So that'll continue. Um, they still have efforts in like the integrated desktop all-in-one space that that's going to continue to happen. Um, and some of those folks will go over there. Uh, and then some of these folks will go to work on other FFRDs, form factor reference designs for ultrabooks and tablets, but not phones. Um, and, and Intel was very specific to point out that, hey, this, these guys aren't going to go work on phones yet. And I think part of that is Mike Bell, who, who help, helps to run the new mobile and comms group, uh, when he was brought in, he was allowed to kind of go pick and, and hire his own teams and, and bring in anyone who he wanted. So I, I don't think they're, they're slightly detached from Intel proper, um, is my understanding. And, and uh, of course, as, as Brian mentioned early, it's, uh, earlier, it's still, um, phones aren't still a, a major portion of, of what Intel's showcasing at this point. It's definitely not a king or queen. Or... <laughs> I guess I guess it's kind of strange if they're making their own reference designs, then why not just go to market with them? And I think that's isn't that that's basically what these were. But maybe even that's they're just taking a loss on it if they're not popular. Well, they were. I, it's my understanding that they were decently popular, especially in like a lot of the um, white box systems. Right. But so, the issue is that's a very low margin business, and so I was even shocked that they stuck around for this long, right? Because Intel has traditionally. Um, just shied away from ultra low margin businesses. It's been a long time since I built anything with an Intel board, but <clears throat> don't they usually not have overclocking? Is that like, am I a relic? It's been so. <laughs> <laughs> no, they have overclocking now. They're actually pretty decent. I, so, Ian, you haven't used their their seven series stuff. No. Yeah, they have. Um, if 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 all you want to do is make. You know, your memory timings go down and your, you know, uh, B clock up and your overall frequency up. Like, they have all of that stuff. If you want to tweak voltages. Yeah, that stuff is all there now. They even have, like, uh, uh, really good auto overclocking settings, at least on their X79 board I used. Um, It was super simple. I remember when I did Sandy Bridge E, uh, I I mentioned that it was just ridiculously simple to overclock on the Intel board. Um, It was literally, like, two hits of a keyboard, and now you're running it you know, a much higher frequency. Well, so, so, so Intel packages um, don't, didn't often have the wide range of software that stuff like um, the ASUS MSI and Gigabyte boards had. Um, so in terms of the package, it was just, you know, basic is as basic does with a few extra features. But there were a lot of people, you know, a lot of white box manufacturers who said, right, I'm going to build an Intel system. Let's use an Intel CPU and an Intel motherboard because I definitely know that that CPU is going to work in that motherboard without issue. Yeah. And and I rarely had the problem with the Intel boards where, you know, there'd be a publicly released BIOS, um, which has gotten better with, with a lot of the other motherboard manufacturers now. But, you know, at least over the past several years, I never had the issue where I got a publicly released BIOS that just had major issues, right? Like it, it was, um, there was a still a little bit of that, that traditional Intel validation that, that at least seemed to come across with their products. Yeah. Um, look, 
given that my experience around Intel boards hasn't been that much, um, a lot of the big manufacturers now, you know, they're doing BIOS rele releases for the new products, you know, every month for at least the first six to eight months. Whereas, so uh, you can get a motherboard from somebody else and um, disabling, you know, a network port disables all your PCIe slots or something sometimes. Yeah. Oops. Or, <laughs> that's that's an oops. Or or, or 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 you get sent out um you get sent a board to review and it comes with a, a like a, a media BIOS, a pre release media BIOS which has some certain tweaks that aren't available in public BIOSes. That's happened. <laughs> so, so 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 performance wow. for the reviewer is more than what somebody's gonna get at home with a you know, a release sample. So yeah, so that happened. Um so that <laughs> happened. <laughs> um, well, then everybody said that this is the end of like the desktop, which is just clearly isn't. But yeah, I mean, I, yeah, usual hyperbole. We, like we need a we need somebody to click this <laughs> because I mean, here's the thing: like the 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 PC business the, or, or Intel will ship something like what 300 million x86 CPUs per year, and over half of them go into notebooks and the remaining half or less than half go into desktops. Um, and those desktops can be anything from like a giant tower to, you know, uh, like a, a Mac mini style thing or yeah, a nook or something like that. Um, that's a ton of volume, right? That volume isn't going to be growing by tremendous, you know, 10, 15% uh, amounts year over year and chances are it'll be sink, uh, shrinking especially on the desktop side uh, by you know good single digit percentages year over year but you're still talking about over 100 million chips platforms per year uh, so I don't think that's going away I think the new kind of love child in all of this though is uh, you know the tablet and the smartphone that, that are kind of on this uh, excellent growth curve so so they're kind of where uh, uh, everyone's focused at this point. But I, I don't know. I saw there, there was this note about, um, I think Tech Report published this, where they were talking about how uh, the BitTorrent folks want to create a BitTorrent-driven private cloud solution for users, right? So instead of you know using Dropbox or whatever, you would just have uh, this BitTorrent-like client on your PC, and that would handle all of your, and you'd have an app for your your iPhone, your Android phone, your tablet, or whatever, and that would handle all your Dropbox-like duties. Um, but it would be a private cloud, and I think in in roles like that, uh, the desktop PC is pretty cool. It's clearly not going away. Like I just love the hyperbole. Yeah. But or if you start talking about like the GPU virtualization stuff that, that NVIDIA has been talking about, you know, they, they talked about it at, at CES under the guise of grid where, um, you know, they've got a rack full of, uh, you know, Teslas in a, in a data center somewhere. And that's how you get console quality gaming on your TV or on some other dumb box. But you could kind of do that same technology at home, right? Where you've got uh, maybe your dual GPU desktop PC and, and one of those GPUs is off serving uh, just a, a whole bunch of lesser powered clients and, and that's how you're getting gaming to you know cheap $99 tablets in your house mm. well, it's, 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 no matter what comes up the, the, the trend is always to a smaller and more powerful but there will always be people who need the powerful workstation under the desk, the people who need all the GPU power for whatever work they're running, or 
you know, with the advent of the new monitors that are coming up, you know, the 2K, 3K, 4K, give it a few years, maybe even 8K, that's going to need some serious horsepower under the hood, and you're not going to be able to get that in the form factor of a smartphone or a tablet. You may have it, or a, you may have um, you may have it in a box in you know in the basement which streams to your TV, but you're still going to have a box. Yeah, or the other great use case for all this is uh, Oculus, right? Like there, you have to be at very high frame rates to make that experience work. Um, and that's why all their demos were with like one or two GTX 680s. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's, it's kind of frustrating to me that the folks who seem to be doing the most for PC gaming and, and to actually use um, the power that we have here are companies that at either at one point were relatively small or, or that honestly shouldn't, they shouldn't be the ones that have to carry that burden, right? I look at the Oculus folks, that was like a kid in his basement. Um, and even before that, I look at Steam, right? You know, what would the state of PC gaming be without Steam at this point? And, and when Valve started that project, it was like, it was tiny, right? It wasn't, a, it wasn't anywhere near what it is today. Um, and it's just very disappointing to me that, that we haven't seen that sort of leadership from Microsoft or even Intel and NVIDIA and these folks. Because if it's making money, don't change the concept. Yeah, that's unfortunate to me. So, so um, whereas Valve, you've got what? A company of about 100 people overall and they're all sort of you know on the same level there's no hierarchy i don't know i mean it just it strikes me that they're they're doing they're doing what needs to be done right they're building the right products um and and that kind of takes me into to a point that i wanted to get to later but we can we can go ahead and do it now this this idea of the open console Right. So the current console business, the current console model, um, which will definitely continue, you know, at least one, probably two more generations, um, is you build this box that looks like a PC. Um, it has a lot of PC like hardware. You sell it at a loss. And to make up for it, you know, you, you uh, sell software. Uh, and that software is just AAA titles, you know, really cool games, so on and so forth. Um, but as a result of the way that model works, you want to keep that hardware platform around for a really long time. Right, because eventually, because of Moore's law, you start breaking even on the platform. Then you you start making money on the hardware itself. Uh, so you take Xbox 360, for example, that was introduced in 2005. Um, it's 2013 now, right? So uh, here we are, eight years later, and and this year uh, we'll we'll get by the middle or definitely by the end of this year we'll get the successor to that product. Now in eight years, I remember Brian, you and I were at the uh, uh, the Tiger Four launch at CES. And NVIDIA had that slide up there about showing the difference in PC GPU power from lowest end to highest end um, compared to the Xbox 360. And because of those eight years without any hardware updates to the 360, uh, the PC is somewhere between, what do they say, like half the speed of the Xbox 360 all the way up to 15x the the GPU power. Something like that. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Is that all? you know and that's 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 all for now right but you know add another 15 percent to that um after the next gpu's launch and it'll just kind of continue but but what's frustrating there is this isn't just me speaking as someone that i need numbers to be higher and things to be faster like that ultimately does the gamer a disservice right because if had the xbox 360 been revved let's say uh twice in the past eight years well you know four years into it they could have easily double GPU performance, maybe even gone further, which would give us 1080p, would give us more realistic physics, better looking games, so on and so forth. 
since we don't have that, everything today, and you know, a lot of the games that are even deployed on the PC are still designed to that least common denominator, which in this case is the Xbox 360. You know, the console has effectively become integrated graphics in that it holds the rest of the market back, which is horribly disappointing. It's so there's this funny idea you that... mentioned integrated graphics because I pulled up the slide and it's like Core i3 with integrated graphics is like roughly 0.5x the whole Xbox. <laughs> well, because that's true, right? Yeah. So the i3 is that way because it, I'm guessing they're using HD 2500, which is just tor- terrible graphics. Uh-huh. Um, and that's but, already half. Yeah, but but the um, I believe with Sandy Bridge, that was the first integrated, the, the first processor graphics, whatever you want to call it, the first GPU that delivered a higher 3D Mark score than what the Xbox 360's GPU could deliver. Um, and Ivy Bridge obviously got even faster than that. Um, well, it's, it's, I want to see like, 3D Mark running on a 360. Can you, <laughs> yeah. you just have that? <laughs> yeah, they, they, I guess internally, like everyone knows those numbers. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Don't forget the console, you know, hardware and software platform, everything's surreptitiously optimized, all the coding, all the graphics. So the current, of course, so so, so what what you get now on the consoles is the ultimate extreme in optimization, whereas in modern, they know all the tricks now. Yeah, whereas modern PC games, you get something like Battlefield 3, which I still think is, you know, unoptimized and as a result, gets poor frame rates, but well, it's a lot. It's similar to what happened in the current, like the modern smartphone and tablet revolution, right? Because you're so hardware constrained, you have to be better about how you develop, yeah, right? It's yeah. the reason that iOS and Android don't look like Windows Seven and and don't have the overhead of Windows Seven um, because you couldn't. Like, there's no. I mean, iOS debuted on an ARM eleven platform, right? Like that was horribly slow. With how much memory did they have? Was it 256 back then or less? I don't know off the top of my head, but that, uh, probably like 128 or 256. Yeah, it's just an absolutely tiny amount of memory. Um, you, and no real storage, no ability to like swap, right? You, can, I mean, you can't swap to NAND in iOS. 128, yeah, amazing. Right? Like it's, it's under those constraints, it's either, you know, it's, it's you, you sink or, or swim. There's no in between. And I think, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot of cool stuff that comes out of that. Um, being in these like hardware constrained platforms, but we can't have a new platform every eight years or every ten years. But you don't want the Ouya. No, no, <laughs> I, don't <laughs> I don't want an Ouya. I don't. No and offense that, to the uh, Ouya people. Well, it's, it's uh, but, but sorry. But, go ahead. But, but put it from this perspective: over the past twenty years, um, all the main all the main uh, software development happens on on PCs and on Macs, where storage has gotten better. You've got massive amounts of memory you've got all you know cpu power that you need but go back 20 years go back to the mid 80s when you're dealing with old commodores and amigas where you had 52 kilobytes of memory and people just knew how to code knew how to code optimally from the time that they were taught rather than you know from nowadays that you'll see your uh, computer science classes where they're not too concerned with how much memory you use you know, until you actually get into a job. But back then, back in back in the mid-80s, when you had your um, Amigas and your Commodores, I'm pretty sure a few of them had, um, you know, sort of... I'm pretty sure the Commodore 64 had an add-in module that was like a cartridge, which was essentially an additional processor, which um, meant that everything else ended up being 
routed through that processor and it gave you an extra sort of 30% performance. And was it one of the Sega Master Systems on the Mega Drives got an extra add-on port for their console to, you know, so it could deal with uh, bigger and better things? What's happened in the past 15 years that that sort of mindset has just drifted away? Well, I mean, there you were like horribly compute constrained, right? Like it's, uh, and and you didn't really have the like high level abstraction tools that we do today. Um, From the console space, the idea of providing an add-on, I understand what you're saying. So so why don't we get add-ons that that just kind of extend the lifespan of these things? Because then Um, then historically, then it becomes a PC. Well, no, historically (laughs) those haven't worked. Right, no developers have supported that because the the adoption rate of those things is so low to begin with um, that if it's it defeats the whole purpose of the console, right? That you have uh, uh, you have a platform that's stable that everyone has, and you you kind of develop for that mass. I, I'm not advocating against that, right? I th- I think you need to keep a platform around for you know definitely longer than three years. I thought the the length of time that they had with the original Xbox, which is four years. Um, and I remember all the developers were really upset about that when they when they went to that four year cadence. Um, I thought that's probably the sweet spot, maybe even a little too long. I would like to see something in the you know maybe three and a half to four year range. Um, well, but if you if you keep that cadence and you go aggressive on the hardware, I think four years is totally fine. Well, um, the cu- the current you know console platforms they're both um, essentially obscure because they're not both they're not complete x eighty six either of them are they. No, um, but they will be this next generation, which will either you know might help reduce the cadence because people have spent so long trying to program and learn how to code for the current platforms that you know. No, I wouldn't say that. I mean, because the, on the general purpose CPU side, on both of them, were effectively just power PC, right? That that's not too unheard of or too unknown. Um, Sony was a little weird with Cell, like that. That took a, a bit of effort. Um, but I, I mean, I think the current plan for Xbox Next is, you know, they they're aiming for ten years, <laughs> right? Like that's they're aiming for ten years. Well, you years. know, when and... I look at the leaked specs right now, it's not like I don't know. I need to go back eight years and was was the 360 that phenomenal from a hardware standpoint? Like I can't remember. On if... the GPU side, it was it was pretty good. Um, on the CPU side, it was uh was really bad. Right, because people were complaining even then. Weren't they? Yes. So, I mean, I think that sort of is the same thing here. Is that this isn't anything phenomenal? But, um, in in terms of what the system will be outputting to over the next eight years, you know, it's 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 going to be four K. So, is everything going to be well, upscaled? Well, of course, the current one, the current one was seven twenty p in a ten eighty p world. So this yeah. one's going to be 1080p in a 4K world. I mean that that was just a given. Yeah, you know. Well, so my point in all of this is that's the old model. I do believe that it's broken. Um, and and since we're in this space where, uh, uh, let's say, performance mainstream hardware is good enough for a lot of people. I do like the idea of the open console, where the open console is the PC, right? You have a, uh, let's say, a, a neutral party come out with a good live USB stick or, or bootable environment that kind of delivers that console OS. You have a Steam-like distribution service for getting your games on there. Um, and you just release a certification program, right, where, where you, uh, you can 
if you buy the right PC or if you have the right certified hardware and driver stack or what have you, um, you get a little logo and you're allowed to call this, uh, you know, in the case of Valve, it would be called a Valve box. But whoever wants to do it, you, you have a certification program there. Um, and, and what's interesting to me is the first time I ever heard this idea uh, was a few years ago at a, a private dinner somewhere. And it was Charlie from Semi-Accurate that, that floated it. And I was like, you know, this makes a ton of sense. Um, and, and it sounds a lot like what Valve is doing today. And, and they're, you know, it's not just them building their own box, but, but kind of creating this environment where anyone with the right minimum specs on their PC, now they can have this kind of uh, open console gaming environment. Um, and, and using that as the next generation. Cause so, so from what I understand, neither of the next generation consoles are going to be able to deliver better GPU performance than a single GTX 680. Uh, I, I think that's um, that's what I've heard thus far. And I could be wrong, but that, that's that's the best I know. Um, and in that case, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see an open console that that kind of uh, prioritized or, or came out with a new spec, let's say every four years, and developers could just target that, and and they would get uh, uh, favorable distribution and promotion within the community, and so on and so forth. I don't know. I, I I'm curious what you guys think about it. It sounds like it would it would require a lot of input from a lot of different sides of the industry who are naturally at odds with each other. Why? Why can't the <laughs> so if it's if it's Valve, right? Let's say Valve does it. Why can't they set it? They've been neutral enough. They can come in and say, "Look, um, if you want the certification for a you know a high-end Valve box, you need to have." Uh, let's say a 660 or a 670 or whatever the equivalent AMD part right, is. So, you need... Right. So, so, so the issue there is it's it's it's, it's the same when um, Microsoft come out with a new platform. They have, or or Intel come out with a new chip. They have a partner who's the focus partner who deals with everything, and then everybody gets a big launch from that. Um, Valve would need to essentially ally with several. PC makers, either you know something as big as you know Dell or HP, or maybe as you know a string of boutique or shuttle builds, in order to do it, it re- it would require that sort of push. But does it necessarily right? Like if if I look at where how Steam started, right? Steam started as hey, this is this thing, it looks kind of stupid, but you know here it is, this is the goal, and and it grew from there into something that you can't really live without. Um, and I view this the same way, right? You the you build an environment, you, you, know, you build something that's optimized for getting your games on your PC onto your TV and, and delivering that console-like experience, right? That's motivated purely by gaming, not by, uh, you know, trying to sell other online services to you. Like, this is purely a gaming-focused thing, right? So they put it out there, and, and you know, maybe they don't have the widespread adoption today. Um, and well, they wouldn't today, right? If they if they deploy as as everyone's hearing uh, on Linux first, the, the current state of Linux gaming isn't that great. Um, but if they deploy there and they deliver a good enough experience to attract the developers over, and then you start getting good enough games over there, where now you start attracting users over, and you make it open and easy enough for everyone to deploy this on their kind of uh, the notebooks that they own or the you know the uh, DIY PCs that they've already built. You start getting them in. Now it's it's kind of irresistible for a, a PC maker like a Dell or an HP to say, "Hey, look, we need to work with you because you're building something that's a differentiating feature for us." Well, um, I think you're right. 
where, where, when when Valve started with Steam, you know, it's essentially, hey, here's a platform, you know, for distribution, and uptake for developers was slow, and then eventually people realised, oh well, we're designing for Windows, and this new platform gets around dealing with, you know, distributing actual physical copies of the game. So it, while we're developing for Windows, we also develop for this. Um, whereas now with you know budget titles uh, with uh, big titles um take bayonetta 2 the sequel to bayonetta um solely came out on wii u but that's only because nintendo funded it so for something you know to take part of this you know open console thing it would require you know several big games to say well we're developing windows we're developing for mac let's also develop for this and it's a case of whether they're willing to put the time, the effort, and the money, or if somebody else is willing to pony up the money to develop for it. Unless it, you know, stays in that sort of semi-stagnant state for you know three, four years, and is happy to do so. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think this is the type of thing that that will um, will see instantaneous success. Um, I, I think the the old model of you needing a triple a title to make the platform viable i don't necessarily know that that's the case i i do think triple a is going to stick around but i um i i don't know i i think there's a lot of indie game developer um momentum on valve to, on, on steam to exist uh, uh, you know at the present day and from a, at least talking to nvidia they, they don't believe that that conversion to get those guys building uh, and porting to linux is is all that much work um, it's not simple, but it's well. well that, it's that, not super significant. Well, that's that's the thing. Not all that much work may mean you know three, four, five months of development cycle, which in the grand scheme yeah. of building the game may not be that much work, but it's still an extra four, five months of you know no income. The the the, the income is made the minute the game is sold. Anything after that is essentially you know either lost revenue or you know building downloadable content for the game or working on the next one. Yeah. So no, that's true. I I, I don't know. Um, I I wish there were an easier strategy. I feel like if Microsoft were less, uh, their own worst enemy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's the perfect way of putting it. If if Microsoft were less of that, then this wouldn't be a problem, right? Then then Windows would clearly be the the platform for this. They would work with Valve and and ensure that uh, Steam had a happy place there. But um. Well, they clearly, I think everybody wants their own little sanitized, like, under their control, um, completely walled off from the rest of the world little ecosystem. You know, like, Microsoft wants a piece of that pie with Windows 8 in their store. Yeah. That's where I, you know, like, obviously Valve kind of started this as an exit strategy. Everybody's kind of, like, hedging their bets. I hate that phrase, but sort of, you know, like, they need an exit strategy in case the consoles aren't, in case... That model set, like all of a sudden it decides to implode, and at the same time everybody's greedily eyeing you know like these these mobile OS markets that are sort of like the dream, you know, yeah. and that there's there's no escaping from you being able to only buy from them. So like every, everything that you do on there, you will make revenue from, and everybody wants a piece of that pie. And I, even I think Valve is probably the most open. Like they've said, you know, or Steambox. You can just you you know fire up a browser, you know do whatever you want. It's just Linux, et cetera, et cetera. I like I like this thesis of yours. I do. I like it. I've because I've been around it when when you talk about it. And um, originally, I thought that your thesis was 
the open console is already here and it's called it's called the PC. But now it's like it's more of a we need a different platform that runs on the PC that everybody has sort of agreed this it's, this will work. And then is, then you put your stuff on it. It's a, P- yeah, it's and, a and, PC with a USB bootable stick. That's essentially what it is. Yeah, I like yeah, that it's, a lot. It's, we have the open console is here. It is the PC. We have the hardware. You know what? We have we effectively already have the next Xbox. It's just all of the vendors that would normally provide us with the software layer and do all of the lifting I'm talking about just don't care. Like they clearly, it is not a priority for them to deliver what the gaming market needs and wants. And as a result, yeah. we have to turn to someone else who, who hopefully long shot, you know, will be able to do this. And, you know, if you, if you asked me back at the start of steam, whether or not this would revolutionize uh, the distribution of games on the PC, I would have written it off, right? I looked at it and I was like, look, you know, these guys just don't get it in terms of how to build the right UI and the right software. Like it, it didn't click for me at all. I understood the concept, but I was like, the, the Valve guys aren't going to be able to pull it off. And they did. And I'm not saying they're going to be able to pull this off, but I believe that they can, right? Maybe it's a slim chance, but, but after what they've done with Steam, I, I do put faith that, you know, over the next handful of years, they might be able to achieve this. Um, I always thought the thing with Steam that was awesome is that it's like ownership that you can get behind. Like, I like buying games on there because there it is. You know, I don't have to worry about a disc. Like, I, I kind of wish that that was the case for these next generation consoles, is that they yes. move to that model. Like, I don't want to have to, you know, like, I hate waiting in line. You know, I, I guess I get, it gets me outside, but like, I hate waiting in line you know outside of a GameStop or something even though it's fun okay like it's fun you know because you get to like converse with other people IRL but whatever you know just I should be able to download the game on release day and you know like be in my basement you know and (laughs) and that's that's sort of the beauty of like we have 50 megabits well there are certain barriers that are gonna have to come over this um I mean first of all I mean if Steam didn't exist we'd all be using Origin (laughs) Um, <laughs> um, would the, Origin exist without Steam? Probably. I mean, someone would have developed some like really horrible, <laughs> like horrible way of doing digital distribution for for PC games. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure someone would. It would have been so bad. Well, you, you, well, remember you, before you have Origin, things... they had that like EA download thing. Did you ever try that? I tried that. Yep. That was pretty horrible. Well, yeah. You also have things like Direct to Drive. Um, but but the fact is, if if a game's released at midnight on disc, you can go out, you can get the disc. You can put it in. Currently, with Steam, obviously they offer um, preloading, which usually works. Um, the game may not always be released at the right time in your time zone, which um, occurred oh, to me true. with Borderlands 2. Um, and also, you become susceptible to what is known as Valve time, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, the, okay, the, 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 the concept where the something specific may, time it may be announced. It'll be like, oh, uh, it'll be released tomorrow morning. Two weeks later, yes, this afternoon, or in the case, or in the case of uh, Half Life Episode Three, The Rapture. Yeah, but see, I'm okay with that. Like, I I would gladly accept all of those caveats if it means that that this becomes like that we actually do something with the hardware here, right? I feel like we have these excellent boxes that because they're not the main target for developers, we just have a lot of wasted power. Right, and and that's beyond frustrating to me. Um, I think the the next Xbox and the next PlayStation, they're gonna make 
by default, all games will look better as a result of that. But then four years from now, we're going to be in the same exact situation again, right? Where yeah. we will have now we'll be shipping integrated graphics that, that has better performance than, than what's in these consoles. And we're still designing to the same, the same thing. I mean, you say, if you saw the leaked documents that Microsoft produced on the next Xbox, like there's a 10-year plan there, man. Like that's, no, they that's want scary. This out. Yeah, they wanted, they wanted out ideal best-case scenario. It's shipping for a decade. And I feel like that we don't have to sell things that way anymore. You, you don't have to build... I mean, PC hardware is good enough and cheap enough where you no longer have to take a loss to, to ship a good box. Well, if this so. is strong enough, then that will mar- they'll get marginalized. You know what? I think the bigger thing for me is that if you look at the consoles, they've become PCs, and the PCs have become more console-like. You know, things like they used to look to a console because it would instantly boot, right? Yes. Well, now I can instantly boot my desktop. Like, this is a solved problem. And then the other things that are like, oh, well, you don't have to update console games. We know how untrue that is now. (laughs) You know, day zero title updates and et cetera, et cetera. Um, um, the other or, things that are like, uh, um, what were you gonna say, Ian? Sorry. Uh, for Forza Four, with its uh, thirty-minute install time, even though you've right. just put the disc in. Yeah. St- oh, the, I just love stuff like that, right? I mean, this is this is exactly but, the the case eight years ago that everybody made for why we need to buy a console instead of you know like use your PC. It was like, ha ha ha! You show up to the LAN party, you're just gonna install things. Well, you know what? Well, what do I do now? I show up. I show up with my console at my friend's house. Or, like, I get the game home, and it's like, well, let's just go do something else while it's updating slash installing. <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know? it, 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 well, as you say, the install to drive that the 360 does, that was, you know, a mo- essentially a move towards a PC-type environment. Well, and because, and because the uh, optical storage isn't big enough, and they can't load from it fast enough, and... You know, like, I can tell when I'm just loading faster than everybody else, because, like, I stuck a 7200 RPM drive in... And then the other things too, like piracy, you know, like, I'm sorry, this, like the 360 is hacked, you know, like I have a JTAG Xbox, you know, I'll admit it. Everybody has one. You can buy one for like 200 bucks if you know the right person. So, <laughs> the, you know, the, the, the same could be said for drugs, Brian. <laughs> no, I'm, there's this kid down the road who sells them for like 200 bucks. I'm like, how are you doing this? He's like, oh, well, I buy it. I buy the like old, you know, like broken fats on eBay and then fix them. And I'm, I'm like, this is below cost or at cost. For what I would buy new, like this is just amazing. Yeah. But you know this argument that oh it's more secure, like the you know like if you're selling a if you're selling a title on the console, it's never going to be pirated, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. That's just not true. People were playing Halo Four like two weeks before it came out online. Well, so what's also interesting is I, I noticed this past year, if you paid attention to when things got pirated for the PC versus the Xbox, a lot of times the pirated version of a game that was out on both platforms would appear on the Xbox first. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And it's because it's even simpler. Like, all I need is the image, you yeah. know? And um, and it works. And I don't have to worry about, like, a crack. or So I think it works both ways. And I think all the things that used to make a console a console just, like, sort of eroded away over eight years. Like, now we have apps and Internet Explorer on the console. Like yeah. I was browsing the web on my console the other day, not because <laughs> it's the best, I, like most ideal thing to do, but because it was there and it was connected to a computer monitor. And then you just come to this realization that it, it's not really a console anymore. It's just kind of like this PC thing that really sucks. You know, it's <laughs> like, you know, it's like eight years old and it just it's... happens to play games. <laughs> well, uh, how cheap is Nan now? Can we go back to cartridges? 
I don't know. Cheap is NAND now. <laughs> I mean, NAND is pretty cheap. You can get eight. Um, what is it? Eight gigs for. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't regularly buy NAND in bulk. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's Wait, it, like it's it's less than a dollar a gigabyte for like the highest quality NAND you can is, buy. Is, 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 isn't it faster to read from that than it is a disk? Oh sure. Yeah, if you have enough NAND in parallel. Yeah. I thought some of that argument was always that it's easier to stamp out a CD than flash all this NAND at the factory, though. Probably. I yeah. don't know what the I don't know what the scale like I don't know well, what the economy was that decided that. Well, it's, it, 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 if your disc breaks, you have to go get a new disc. If something's wrong with a cartridge, you just give it a blow and off you go. That's, oh, that well, sounds no, no, really, so be... really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the whole physical media thing that that has to go away. And unfortunately, I, like it's. Um, I think at least one of the next-gen consoles is going to ship with a Blu-ray drive. Um, I'm guessing that'll that'll be the Sony device or whatever. Um, so I, I I don't know. It's it's the, the physical media thing. I do hope that goes away. I want to be able to put a solid-state drive in, so I can buggy you for like another 500 gig drive, and then put that in, and then I can always pull host, like always be host. Yeah. The 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 the, the this block diagram you sent me said that the Durango has a Blu-ray. Oh, interesting. So, um, yeah, fifty gig. I mean, like, who knows with any of that stuff, right? Yeah, but um, yeah, the 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 argument that always comes across will be um price. But you know, it depends. You know, if somebody's going to make one of this, you know, sort of agnostic, you know, bootable USB thing, are you still going to end up paying, you know, eight hundred a thousand dollars for a a PC that you're going to upgrade every three, four, five years or so? Versus, you know. A three three hundred and fifty dollar, you know, Xbox Next, PlayStation Four, whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Because I mean, I, because I, as I think, but but back back when you know, I was a big console gamer. You know, I was you know twelve. I couldn't afford a PC. Uh, you know, you save up save up over a few years Christmas money, you can get a console. So you went the console route. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the thing is that um, PCs are so prevalent now that I would love for them. Like, that's why I think the open console idea works, right? Because you can just assume that everyone has a... I mean, for like less than a thousand bucks, you can build an awesome PC, right? And even for like 500 bucks, you can build a really, really good PC. Um, and I, I think that was the whole... Um, I was thinking like a Nook, but just with a better GPU. Like, wouldn't that be perfect? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Nook with a Thunderbolt port to a GPU in a case. I mean that could be awesome if anybody would make a thing. Thunderbolt GPU in a case, but nobody <laughs> wants to do one. Well, I think that's more of a Microsoft problem, but that's a discussion for another time. Um, so we talked about NAND a bit. I did want to say one thing. Um, so one one thing that I did learn at CES is everyone seems to be uh, set on Sandforce's long-awaited third-generation controller coming out in the second half of this year. Um, and uh, part of the reason why it seems that this has been delayed so much uh, seems to be that LSI is um, hopefully making sure that this part is well validated, the firmware is well tested. Um, so, so hopefully we'll we'll avoid any any nastiness this next round because I know a lot of people are going to be using it. Um, I, I did publish some kind of high level specs of what it would be probably a year ago now, um, but you're going to see both SATA and PCI Express versions um, that that'll that'll come out based on the third gen controller. So that will be. Uh, that will be in the second half of this year. Um, there's that. The other thing that people have been asking us to talk about is the um, eight-core Exynos part from Samsung. Um, the Exynos 
Octa. Octa. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's yeah. not too much we can add to this. It's it's just four Cortex A7s plus four Cortex A15s. Um, and Brian, you did some research into this, so you can use any of those cores in tandem, correct? Yeah, I mean, so they have like three different modes. Um, initially, it'll be the, the mode where you sort of, you know, like hot plug an A7's context into the A15 and back. But with kernel work, they could they could in theory use all eight. I think that's in the future. I would love to see that that model, you know, where <clears throat> you you literally see eight. Like the OS will see four here, and the um, implementations that will ship, you know, first. I so, guess. So so well, so you the... did you did some digging and also dug up the GPU. Like for the longest time, that was the unknown. Was the GPU? Yeah. So so it's actually using a uh, um, PowerVR SGX um, 544 MP3, but running at really high clocks. Um, so we'll we'll see basically better performance than uh, at the graphics side. So so they ditched ARM's Molly um, T604 uh, for 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 an imagination GPU. And and Samsung all along has always said that look we'll just use whatever's better. Um, and better in this case probably means a com- combination of performance and power consumption. Um, and and that's likely the motivation for the shift. But um, yeah, they, they they'll be able to deliver basically performance somewhere between an A5X and an A6X um, out of the Exynos Octa. Um, I can't believe that name. I just can't, like, again, because really it's going to be for, it's just a lot of, I think it's a lot of marketing. And you know what I love is that during the the keynote, I took a screenshot of it and I just can't wait to use it. During the keynote, they put up a, like a, a picture of, you know, like the, just the the heat spreader or whatever you know like the package yeah and the model number on there is 5410 where the second digit is always sort of like the number of cores so even they know it's it's really a four core part but we're just going to call it eight cores because you know that's going to really rain on everybody else's parade even more (laughs) now who's like who, who who are just now getting their quad core parts so that's why I said in my thing that I just think that's the stupidest name ever because even they know it's a fifty four ten, not a fifty eight whatever. <laughs> that's hilarious. I didn't. I didn't realize you got that shot. That's awesome. Oh, I mean, it's it's amazing. I just can't believe it. Like I saw it and I just couldn't believe it. You know, <laughs> um, this is why we can't have nice things. Why can't we call things the part number? Like, why is this? Why is I? You know, I don't know. So, I just don't know. Um, the the fact that you've got you know two groups of four, they're they're going to have different performance throughputs. So if you're going to have um, a process which is going to use all eight, how's it going to deal with the slower four? Oh, so they can't use all eight. That's what I'm saying. The, the the next one, if they write the kernel driver correctly, then they can do all eight. So then the four that gets get so in theory, really this only works with different workloads. You know, so you'll stick like the email client, right? You know, things like um. Like there are a bunch of daemons that are always running on Android. Stick those on the A7s, and then you'll stick the browser. You know, you like your game. You know, maybe the engine for your game. All so, that stuff on so, the A15s. So there'll be options for developers to tie a certain workload to certain halves of the uh, the eight. Well, really, the scheduler the scheduler can be aware of what what these tasks are, and then assign them to a core directly. Yeah. You know, and that's 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 again really what the eight core methodology would be. At present, it's sort of is like a DVFS table, where if one of the if one of the cores just goes above a certain DVFS state, then it just it hot plugs everything, yanks it, 
sticks it on the A15. Then when then it's no longer above a certain DVFS level, yanks it again, sticks it back on the A7. So this is sort of like a naive approach to it, and that'll yeah. be the initial way that it works. It'll be interesting to see that both the boundary and the hysteresis between going from four of the little cores to one of the big ones. Yeah, that's what I'm really interested in. There's a bunch of good white papers about this that I've been reading. Because if you use the four small ones, wouldn't the performance be more than one of the big ones? And the power consumption also be more? I mean, this is, again, that thing where if you have a really multi-threaded workload, then, yeah, you'd you'd probably want to be on the four A7s rather than firing up an A15. And I think that's what that's what they really are going for. You know, there's there's a good white paper about this, the whole big little architecture um, discussion. And, I, again, you don't want to be too chattery because then you're going to just lose. Like, you lose a cycle. Like, they're going to be running at different clocks. So you yeah. just lose the time in between. You lose the time that you spend, you know, putting you know like transferring all the l1 everything else in between the cores so i mean that's a very complicated problem and i'm really interested to see how well it does you know in re in reality versus in theory here and you know so, again everybody so, has their own arguments so will it will it actually um cut a pro cut a process mid-running and then shift it on the other core or will it wait for essentially that thread totally. of process to stop and then rerun it on the other core. No, it'll do it while it's running. You know, like if you're running the maps application or something, and then you like pan around, <clears throat> it'll yank it right while it's running. So it yeah, needs no, to be no, like no, it's very low. No, but latency. I mean, if you're just looking at the map and then you fire up Street View, maybe it loads Street View onto the A15s rather than the A7s. So which is sure, it's if it's a different process. Yeah. It, That's it, possible. It, it, if it does it sort of mid mid process, mid thread, I. Sorry, my speaker's gone. Yeah, if it does if it, it mid... does it mid thread. If, yeah. if if it does it mid process, mid thread, I don't want to be on the developer team who has to deal with that. Right. Well, and that's why they're hoping this is abstracted as far away as possible, away from, sort of, you know. No, that uh, application worry level, you know, uh, uh, and uh, 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 implementational uh, details. Like, we'll see how well it is, is what I'm saying. Uh, I wouldn't want to be the developer at Samsung dealing with it anyway. I wouldn't either, but I mean, again, ARM has sort of worked out the kernel details, and there are videos of it working. They had a demo I wanted to look at in that room um, that I was told I need to leave. But... Uh, <laughs> You look too shady, man. Well, then they put a video of it up later. Do you see this? Did I show you? No, they put up I? a video of the thing. Yeah, like I was like so. I don't understand. But um, yeah. I mean, and then what they showed was the four A sevens and four A fifteens. And when you hot when you transferred a, th a process or a thread from the A seven to the A fifteen, the A seven went totally dormant. So it was not what I saw and what they were showing was not the the eight cores awake sort of thing. And it wasn't the, the other mode where it's all or nothing. There's another mode that kind of sucks where it's just all or nothing. Like you get all A15s and all A7s. So obviously that's not ideal. And well, well, What's going to happen is you're going to end up having to do a specific benchmark which does the A7s and does the A15s and tests them both for battery time, which is just going to double your testing. If we can fit a workload that 
that fits it into one D the DVFS state right below the threshold. That would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be very cool <clears throat> because there should, I mean, there should be a sizable difference, you know, and you know what I was thinking earlier is, you know how you were talking and on about, um, there should be a part in between sort of the, you know, a 15 and a nine. I'm starting to get the feeling now that they sort of view the a nine as the part that's in between the a seven and a 15. You know what I'm saying? Like the A9 was the compromise, and then A7 is sort of this, you know, like where really you, you should be all the time for, you know, like the phone's in your pocket, it's just idle. And then the A15s are their, you know, all or nothing cores that we just, we just burst into and then come out of as fast as possible. But I thought like the whole point of the A7 was, hey, you can basically get A9 level performance, but at lower power. Right, and right. if that's the case, then the A9 goes away. But I still want something in between the A7 and the A15. I want like an A10, yeah. right? I want, I want something like I basically want an ARM-designed Snapdragon, like a crate. Yeah, you want that without Big Little. Yes. Hmm. Um, well, so I that still kind of want that me... too, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I could be totally wrong, right? I, I want to see how these first like Big Littles do in a phone. I think in a tablet it'll be fine. Um, but I'm really curious to see how they do in a phone. Yeah, and initially I didn't think that this would make it into a phone, but now I'm thinking more and more that it will make it into a phone. Yeah, it'll make it into a phone, and then you know, you'll know you just be on the A7s a lot. Yeah, you'll hardly ever hit the A15s. But, and I mean, then we okay. Get in, well, then we get into some interesting situations where do they now start doing... Is this when they start doing app detects and wait for someone to fire up um, like N22 or something and, and then just go all A15s? That's, I think that might have been a little bit of what Ian was alluding to. Yeah. And right. that's the worrisome case because, you know, it's impossible for us to really see. But, I mean, if you're firing up a benchmark, I would expect it to fire up the big cores anyways. That's true. I, and, like, and, I wish I had control over this, you know. Well, so here's the other, the other question, and, and this would be interesting for... Um, so there aren't many industry standard Android or smartphone in general battery life tests, but... If I were wearing my evil corporate hat, um, what I would do is just make sure whenever I see a battery life test running, I just run on A7s. Mm-hmm. And uh, never that, ever touch the A15s. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I'm, I'm very curious to see how this, how this plays out. The, the, um, yeah, I want control over it. Like, I'm sure there's going to be a way to just change some file and then you can, you know, just change the governor. But, yeah. uh, I, like, personally, if I had a phone with this, I would want a control that I could just only use A7s. You know, like, let's say, like, again, the use case where it's like I didn't get to charge my phone last night because I was really drunk or whatever. I don't know. Like, I don't I do not do this thing. But that's what I assume happens, you know? Like, yeah. So one of my friends was telling me, like, I haven't charged my phone over 60% in the past three days. I was like, what's wrong with you? Like, are you just always getting drunk at your friend's house and passing out? Like, where are you that there's not a micro USB port? Like, where is that? Like, I can charge my phone on the Xbox, you know? Yeah. Like, you can charge things on a TV these days. Like, maybe I'm just weird. But, but, if, but anyways, if I was in that circumstance, I would want a toggle where I can just go and only use A7s because I just know I'm going to be really drunk and, like, everybody's going to think I'm dead. Yeah. You know? Um, so, it, like, I want the toggle. If, if you've got a phone on the A15s and it heats up too much such that it has to downclock to stay within a power envelope, what if it declocked lower than the performance would be if it was on the A7s? Would it switch back well, to the A7s? Well, because it's in the, the DVFS table. Yeah, we go on the A7s. <clears throat> it just moves you down the DVFS table. That's all the um, all the throttling um, 
What's the, what's the right way to say all the throttle all the heat mitigation throttling that I've seen is always just you just move you move down states. You know, yeah. like even in a non thing with the fifty two fifty, they just clearly were moving down states. Yeah. And then kind of yeah, waiting a little the, bit. You could see the steps, right, where they were just going down in frequency and voltage. Which is awesome. <laughs> awesome to see it. But that's you, what they yeah. would do. So I would assume you would just end up with like four A sevens. You you're gonna have to do two batch tests. One one in one in northern Alaska and <laughs> one in Arizona. So one in my fridge and one in outside. Yeah. <laughs> basically. Um so, so this we kind of touched on this a bit. There's not too much I, you know, I want to add about Qualcomm at, um, at CES and, and kind of the vibe I got from them there. But um, more and more, you know, just doing the x86 power stuff, doing just everything, just following what's been going on here. Um, in a phone, I, I, I really think Qualcomm's the one to beat here. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, Brian's always kind of stressing how strong they are on the baseband side. Um, and, and I really think it's that. It's... You know, they, they could have a worse kind of CPU story, and, and because of their strength on the baseband side, um, that, that would kind of make them still the, the de facto platform and phones. But the reality is they're, from my perspective, they're doing what makes sense in the phone space, um, you know, on the, on the CPU side. They're, they're building, they are building me something that's between an A9 and an A15. And um, uh, logically, at least, that's, that's how I learned that the you know, that would be the logical next step. We'll, we'll see when these big little designs come out. Um, but, but I think Qualcomm is, is uh, they're not going to take this lying down. I, I think they're going to be very competitive here um, over the next couple of years. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, Apple basically built a crate too, right? That's, that was your yeah. big thing that really kind of made it stand out is, I don't know if, you know, like everybody sort of decided on this is what we're going to do to mitigate A15, you know, and that sort of just shook out. But it's interesting. Yeah. Well, it, it's, you know, Apple did it because they had a bunch of people that used to work on AMD CPUs over there making those decisions. And Qualcomm did it because I, I, they're, they're chip makers, right? And they're like, well, this makes sense. Um, I, I think ARM went ahead with A15 because they said, look, we have the opportunity to take a big chunk out of this Intel market, which is very attractive. Um, you know, ASPs are much higher over there. We can make a ton of money. If, if we had a design that would just kind of start chipping away at the low end there. Um, and, and I have to believe that that's uh, not only that, but, but also with all the stuff happening on the server side where ASPs are even, even higher. Um, and I have to believe that those are uh, a big part of the motivation there. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk um, about the yellow phone. Yeah, can we so that talk the, about the yellow phone? That's, I didn't that's say the word before, but can you believe this? <laughs> Can you believe this? I can't believe it. But we're, we're like, I said that word on the last podcast. I don't know how tired I was. Like, I really don't know how it's like, that's just amazing. Like, I'm sorry about that. But then yesterday, Intel announces we're going to launch the Lexington phone. And by the way, it's called the YOLO. <laughs> so wait, hang on. For people who don't know, YOLO um, is an acronym for You Only Live Once, made popular by uh, R&B and rap artist Drake. Um, and it's kind of been a bit of a, I never thought I'd have to explain this, but you know, I mean, I figured not everyone, maybe not everyone knows. I never thought, you never thought you'd be mentioning it in a professional context. No, ever. I didn't, Drake wasn't, that wasn't, that wasn't in the cards, you, you, um, but here it is. Usually screamed by people just before they're going to do something very stupid that may end up in death. That's, you know, when, or, or it's or just something you say when you're at the club, right? You know, you're just yellow. You're just, you're just at the club wait, and wait, it's just. When was the last time you were at a club, Anand? I, uh, it would be CES, actually, because that's where all CES parties happen. 
<laughs> in the club. In the club. And but they're in the club with like yellow, a... and then just take like taking another like four shots. Clearly, <laughs> well, it's you know it's funny because they always do these events like in clubs and stuff, but it's like like I'm surrounded by like motherboard reviewers and ssd reviewers and like smartphone guys and i'm like this is not the normal crowd in here like this is no, not no it's true <laughs> you, you, you do realize you're gonna have to link to urban dictionary if you ever review the phone no i think i you know we did our due i would just explain what yolo was i i kept yeah. so i asked brian after he posted the yolo story how tempted he was to have just like a, a photo of drake as like the the top picture in the article I wanted to include the words YOLO, like, photoshopped over something, but then I decided that would just destroy, like, any remaining credibility. <laughs> <laughs> just, like, it would, it would be gone. Like, you, I would just get fired. There would be nothing else. Like, I'd just be gone. You so, know? I, I am curious, like, if... Um, but like, the phone is called the YOLO. Like, that is the name. It's, it's not even, like, the third word in the name. Like, it is the YOLO phone. So, 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 so you have the Zolo, the YOLO. Right. And then the Zolo again, but with a Z. Yes. I mean, like, is there, a, like, who's, who's calling these shots? Like, I want to know. <laughs> it's Will I Am, man. I'm telling you. Intel <laughs> hired him a couple years ago, and he's the one responsible for all this. Like, was that the plan with the Zolo? <laughs> is that then we could have, because the Zolo was kind of before the yellow thing, you know? Yeah. So this, like, I feel like there's a conspiracy here. I was trying to figure it out. <laughs> earlier i was and then you were you were mentioning like does it translate to something and i i i went i used google translate and like it just translates to yolo like it just goes it just goes back like if you put in lowercase it just goes to all caps i guess that's the important thing to note is this isn't the all caps yolo by the way this is yolo with the capital y lowercase o lowercase l lowercase o trademarked so it's not it's not the trademark yolo all caps and, you know, like and only currently acronym. going to be sold in Kenya. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Kenya. What's Safaricom. Her... Look, a lion. Yolo. <laughs> I know. Like they're not getting. They're not in the club. Like this is. I don't know what's going on yeah, here. Trust me. If you go on Safari and you're going to do stupid things, you're going to want to shout that. I don't. Mm-hmm. I, but I've never shouted Yolo before doing anything. So here's the thing. I figure one of two things has happened here. Either. Grand conspiracy theory. Um, someone within Intel was like, "Look, I bet you I can get YOLO into the name of a product, <laughs> right? Like, you know, twelve to eighteen months prior, someone made this bet, and you know, it's probably Mike Bell. You know, he was like, hey, you know, I, I've been at Apple, I've been at Palm, I've done a lot of things. <laughs> you know, I bet you I can get Intel to release a YOLO named product, right? So that's that's one end. That's one. So we, we we did something similar like that when we were seventeen, eighteen in sort of like literature exams. What's the weirdest phrase you could put into you know, an exam paper. Oh, dude, for, um, I would say, like, for the first, I don't know, maybe 10 years of me writing, I would actually sneak in random rap lyrics or references in articles. Like, I haven't done it in a long time. Like, I just, it, you know, that would totally happen. This happened for a very long time, and I never really pointed it out. Like, I would just kind of subtly do it. Um, it just so happens that, you know, it, it, whatever people was noticed. happened to be. No, 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 very few people noticed. Um, so I don't know if I've been like subversively turning people into like rap aficionados or if they just like think that I talk weird. I, I, I don't know, but I've been doing this for a while. Um, and actually this is the first time I've ever publicly admitted it. Um, I, I did admit it once at like a private dinner, but, but that's, that's the only other time. Um, so now the world knows is going to go back and look for those references. 
Dude, I haven't done it in years. Like, it's it's not... I can't be as creative with the writing when, like, the pressure to write so many things is as high as it is now. Uh-huh. Um, but now I feel like I have to it's... go. But but so on the other end of the spectrum, right? So we have, you know, the, the grand conspiracy, Mike Bell. The whole point of him going to Intel is, is to get YOLO into a product. The other end of the spectrum is Intel is so out of touch with the youth of today that they named something YOLO without knowing that you shouldn't call something YOLO in 2013, right? So it's either one of those two things. It's either they're incredibly aware or completely detached. Is it, is it, is I was thinking also like top end. We're talking about it. So they were like, we'll just name something after like kind of a meme, you know? Yeah. And then everybody will be like, oh, I want that thing. No, you know? no, you know, no. It's like 125 bucks. You only live once. Like I'm ditching my <laughs> iPhone. I'm gonna buy the yellow phone. No, because because then you next you'll get the Apple swag. The Apple swag. What do you mean? Like oh, they're gonna Apple make product? that up. They're gonna call it the swag. Yeah. So instead of iPhone math, it's like iPhone swag, or something <laughs> like that. That's just ridiculous. That's amazing. Well, I just well, can't if, believe it. If, if somebody six months to you. Six months ago, said to you, some Intel's going to come out with a YOLO phone. You would have told, you would have said that was idiotic and stupid. I would have, I would have thought they were making fun of me, like or just making fun of this. I would have so, been so, like, you're just, so, so you're not would, being serious. Somebody would have offered you odds to ten thousand to one, and you still wouldn't have taken them. Until I was like Zolo, mm, yeah, interest. Like I, mm, I see what they're doing there, but like <laughs> Zolo, that was before YOLO. Like wait, like I, you know, that was before this kind of. That word started catching no, no. on, wasn't what, it? No, it was no, because no. I, I remember when when you were talking about Zolo. So I think Yolo, you mentioned Yolo to me in a conversation at that point. Really, and I've never, was, I've never admit. Really, was, I can't believe myself. It was definitely around <laughs> then. Like, yeah, yeah, it was, it was around then. So, like I said, either, either incredible visibility into a future product, like this is product planning at its finest. Or a new level of being detached from what's going on in the world. I just can't imagine the the discussions and then somebody typing up the press release. Like I just can't. Um, you know, because there there are people around. There are going to be people around like a boardroom that are discussing what do we call this thing? How do you get to YOLO? Like straight face <laughs> in that meeting room it, without it, there being alcohol involved. Like I just don't understand. It, 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 How it, that happened? It does sound like some, you know, every so often there's some singer puts out a Twitter hashtag or there's a website which, if you have a certain way of thinking, it can be read differently. There, there, hmm. there, there, there was a big one with Susan Boyle and a hashtag she put out for her latest album. I won't mention it on the podcast because it's pop. a bit rude. Yes. <laughs> well, this is definitely, like, I think it's... I don't know what it is. I go back and forth on the conspiracy theories. I like I like yours and on that it's Mike Bell just sort of trolling all of Intel. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, it's it's got to be one of the. I mean, because you have to. I mean, Intel's a pretty big company. They have what like uh, tens of thousands of employees, like worldwide, right? I mean, there's just, there's a ton of people that work there. You have to believe that there's some percentage of them that are familiar with the word, and some percentage of them that would think it'd be really funny 
right? Like if we if we got you know the same people who who call things like Core i three, like who thought that that was like a, a solid <laughs> brand, right? We got them to say YOLO, right? Like that's just, we would think that that would be funny. There has to be some, you know, uh, very ambitious percentage of Intel employee that, that just wanted to go for it. But, 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 but those people tend to be below the age of 30 and the high-end execs tend to be north of 45. I don't know, man. Mike's, they're Mike trying Bell's to act team hip. They're trying to act hip. I don't know. Well, on that note, that brings us to an end of our 15th podcast. Um, I want to thank you all for listening. Thank you for reading the site. And uh, we've got MWC coming up in another month. Um, and Computex after that, Haswell uh, is coming. It's soon. Um, so be sure to check back on the site. And we'll be back hopefully in about a week with the next episode. Thank you, guys.